0: Hey everybody, it's Eric Gilmore and Dr. Jeff Hubing. He's a dear friend of mine, and his spiritual and theological insight is so united that it's very rare to have someone who has deep theological roots and deep spirituality. So I thank God for you, Jeff, and I'm so happy that you're on with us.
1: Hey, bro, thank you for the invitation. It's it's always good to see you. It's always good to be able to, to serve and help folks that are connected to you as they're trying to grow in the Lord. And yeah, I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. have a couple of questions on Galatians. Hmm. Galatians is a book that Martin Luther said he was married to. He called it his Katie. Uh, also, one person said that Galatians was the stone Or the pebble from the brook with which, like another David, Martin Luther went forth to slay the papacy. This guy. Wow. David Pawson, who I really enjoy to listen to a lot, he said, If you want to hold on to your spiritual veneer, do not read the book of Galatians. That's good counsel. (laughs) So, the first question that I want to throw your way is one of the most heartbreaking statements I have found in all of the scriptures. It is the sixth verse of the first chapter. Can you just kind of talk about it?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul starts off the letter with a little bit of, um, of an expression of rebuke. You know, most of his letters begin with a thanksgiving or a prayer or something like that. But Galatians begins with the kind of, I am irritated kind of statement. Like, I, I you know, the way it's translated here is I'm astonished but it's kind of astonished, but also with a hint of like, you know, frustration. Like, I can't believe this is happening. you know, it's, it's kind of one of those statements. And what he says is that they are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So his thoughts here um, express something, as you said, it's it's incredibly discouraging and But it's also like a very important insight, the way Paul connects their desertion of God with their embrace of a different message. Okay, In other words, the Galatians probably didn't think they were deserting God, but Paul did. And that's the key to having this apostolic insight. The, The nature of Paul's thought process is that the message and the man are inseparable. In other words, the gospel and the king you you can't split them. You can't say, you know, I'm I I'm going to serve God in my own way and I'm sure God will be cool with that, you know. Paul's perspective is no. You, you desert the message, you're deserting the 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 Lord. You can't you don't have the freedom to manipulate the the message itself into something that suits you. Into something that you're more comfortable with, or to something that you th- you feel will be more fruitful, you know. Well, I've, you know, I just want to set aside this part of the gospel and replace it with something else that satisfies me. No, we don't get to pick the content of the message, and God doesn't look at it like that. Like, well, as long as you have warm feelings toward me, you know, and and you respect me as the Creator, you know, feel free to believe whatever you want. No, <laughs> no, fr- from a New Testament point of view, the message and the man are inseparable. Jesus is represented through the gospel message. So we, we can, if we distort the gospel, the announcement of his kingship, the announcement of his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the announcement of his call to build a church, a people that resemble him through both their, their righteousness, their piety, and their fidelity, like you you don't get to twist that and then still cling to the Lord. So from Paul's perspective, he's a servant of Christ. And that means he's not going to please people by recalibrating the gospel to their standards. So th- this statement is, is very revealing because it, it reminds us that God is not playing games with the gospel message. It, it's not a smorgasbord. If you get to pick and choose the things you like, <clears throat> excuse me. And then you know, I'm well, I'm sure God will understand. He actually won't, not like that, not like you think. You know, he he's given you the gospel as a means to reconcile with him and to be with him. That's the the key that opens the door. And so if we were if we throw away the key, we're gonna find that we've left the door behind as well. So it's real important, you know, that. Some people, you know, and I know there are theological controversies in the whole debate about once saved, always saved and this and that. And I I would just say this, the way that Paul and I think most New Testament writers envision salvation is a way of defining a relationship. Don't we always talk about this? You know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Okay, well, if it's a relationship, then the relationship has to be stewarded. Hmm. God's committed to us. He is in covenant and he always keeps covenant. He always stewards the relationship on his end. But we, according to Paul, apparently have the responsibility to do the same. And when we don't, we abandon him. So I know some people may have trouble with that language, but this is Paul's perspective. It's not God abandoning you. It's you abandoning him. If you embrace a message that's distorted. So I, in my view, it's a real strong warning to us that, you know what, we, we don't have, we have to be careful, you know, because sometimes people think about gospel things as negotiable, but they're just not. And to turn from the, the truth of the message is to turn from God. He's a person, right? I mean, we can't think. That he, you know, from the beginning of time before the creation of the world, developed this plan in his heart that he would unveil through his son, that he would make available by the power of his spirit. That he's been burning for centuries to see deposited in an international people and and then receive that and think, well, you know what, some parts of this I'm good with, other parts I don't really care. I mean, what? No, this is his burning heart, loving message for humanity it's an extension of himself so yeah the, this it, it is a, a profoundly eye-opening verse um, and it should remind us of the the depth of significance that comes along with hearing and embracing the true gospel because to embrace the true gospel is to embrace the true god
0: Wow. i love it it's so powerful it's going to seem like we're jumping here, but I feel they're connected in some way in uh Galatians chapter two, verse 20, probably the most popular section, wouldn't you say would be Galatians 220? One of the most popular.
1: Oh, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I think most of the you know favorite scripture verses are are locked in with 220 and 21. I would <laughs> yeah. I think it's gotta rank pretty high up there on the chart. Can,
0: can you just read that verse to us and then explain it for people, because I, I feel like because it's so popular, it's so famous, it's so quoted that we don't actually understand what's actually being said.
1: Yeah. So Paul says in 220, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. I'm not nullifying the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Wow. Uh, I mean these are wonderful sentiments, but they're also very deep and very complex. But let me try and simplify this. Paul does not believe that the being born again is simply embracing a new set of beliefs. There are beliefs to embrace, but it's beyond that. It's actually a process of human transformation that's taking place when someone embraces the kingdom gospel. Um, and this is related to what we were saying, because when you embrace the gospel, you embrace God. Yes. When, when you believe the gospel, you welcome God. <laughs> Something happens to, to a person's constitution when that takes place. Paul uses the language of dying and rising. Okay, Romans 6, and again, here in Galatians, there's a death that takes place to the old person, the old way, the old values, the old understanding of reality. And there's a life that comes on the heels of that death. And all this is patterned after the death and and resurrection of Jesus. Paul sees that event as a way of understanding what happens to people when they believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. So the person I used to be goes into the ground. A new person comes up out of the ground by the power of God's spirit. Paul says in a way that that new person is like Christ coming into you and now living through you. Okay. This is his language. It's Christ in me now. It's it's not just me being everything I'm called to be. It's actually me going into the into the tomb and Christ carrying me out of the tomb and now saying, I'm inside, I'm the king, let me show you how to be human. (laughs) Now, that sounds weird to us because we're used to emphasizing the divinity of Jesus. And that's right. I mean, he is the word made flesh, but let's not confuse things. He He is made flesh. And even right now, he's in a human body, albeit a resurrected one. But his whole point is to say, I want human beings to resemble me. So let me show you how this works, and as we'll see in a minute, by His own presence through the Holy Spirit, it's like now it's time to live. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we we emphasize the, the 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 cross part as we should. We emphasize the faith part as we should, but we neglect the live part. Okay, he says, "I live by faith." So for Paul, faith isn't just a transaction by which I believe data. Therefore, my sins are canceled and I can go to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. Actually, he never says it that way. Nobody ever says it that way in the New Testament. But what he says is, through Jesus, through his crucifixion, I have gone into a tomb. And then I've come out of a tomb with him inside me. And now I need to live by faith. Being born again is the beginning of life, okay? And and this is the life that we're going to live into forever, but it starts now. We begin experiencing uh, kingdom life, living life the way God wants it lived. And Paul says we do it by faith. Faith is a fun word. Um, Let me just give you a brief definition of that. I would say faith is something like Wholehearted confidence, plus exclusive loyalty, plus habitual dependence. Somewhere in there is the sweet spot of what Paul means by faith. There's a confidence, a trust, a resolute sense of, no, this is right, this gospel message, and you are real with respect to the person of Jesus as king. What that leads to is exclusive loyalty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love the word loyalty for faith because it, it's about our clinging to him, mm-hmm. our choosing him, our saying, no matter what else is going on in my life, in my world, you're the one I'm loyal to. I'm, my commitment to you is unparalleled by anything else. And my my fidelity and and and, dependent and, and uh, allegiance goes to you. And then habitual dependence, meaning faith is also admitting it's impossible for me to live this way. So I must lean on you in every situation. So Paul says that's how we live. It's an ongoing reality. Jesus made it possible by opening up a way for us to die and rise just like he did. And then once we do, we begin to live in this way. That, that has to do with confidence, um, loyalty, and dependence.
0: You reminded me of a quote from Andrew Murray. He said, remember the one condition, habitual, unceasing, absolute dependence upon him. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. Andrew Murray is gold. He is.
1: Unbelievable.
0: So connected to this, in Galatians 5, we have a walking by the Spirit. That is kind of laid in front of us. Would you say this is the first time such a concept is being laid out? Is in Galatians chapter five, or is there another point before this that was written?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it depends on when we date Galatians. Um, You know, there are similar concepts, and I think in Romans, uh, Romans eight about life in the spirit. You you might find some commentary on this um you know in corinthians although in a much more targeted way um but if galatians is early it it could be one of the earliest ways that paul articulates this so yeah
0: if you were to take these words and what paul's trying to say and explain and expound to the people about walking by the spirit can you just just talk to us a little bit about this
1: Eric, I actually think it's a parallel construction to what he's just said in Galatians 2. What we've talked about to to live by faith is to walk in the spirit. And it's it's interesting to me like he he um he waits till Galatians to really uh, sorry, he waits till chapter 5 to really flip the switch on the spirit. You know I mean he hasn't really mentioned the Holy Spirit much at all. But when he gets to 5 and he talks about freedom, and he talks about the liberation of our, our being. The next issue is, how does that work in practice? Because the Galatians are being tempted to establish a way of life based on Old Covenant realities and Jewish cultural expectations. Because that, for many people in the first century, and it's not illogical that's the way to keep from idolatry. That's the way to keep from going off the way the nations have, is to to follow the, the Jewish law and all that. But Paul's saying, look, you that's not the way this works. That didn't work before, okay? That's what he's argued in chapters three and four. The Jewish people didn't experience maturity and liberation and freedom under the law. The law simply got twisted by sin and they were, you know, I mean, they were shut up in a prison for, you know, waiting for their, their liberation. So he said, it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. What you need is to walk in or by the Holy Spirit. So two things about this. First, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the personal presence of God (laughs) within and among us. So when Paul says that Christ lives in me, what he means is the Spirit has taken up residence inside. He doesn't mean the physical body of Jesus, of course, because Jesus has a physical body. That's at the right hand of God, okay? He's on the throne. He's a resurrected man. He's not inside you. That's not possible. What's inside is his personal presence by the Spirit. The presence of Christ is the presence of God. Romans 8, 9, and 10. Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the spirit of Christ is the spirit of God. It's the personal presence of the divine being in your body. So Paul's saying you have to walk in a way that is consistent with that reality. So you could translate that walk in the spirit or walk by the spirit. Walk in the spirit to me suggests the realm or the environment in which we walk. Okay. The, you can be in the flesh. You can be in the spirit. Paul says, if you're, if you've believed the gospel, you're actually in the spirit, you're in the realm of the spirit, that environment, that atmosphere, that biosphere, that's where you are. That's where you're at home. Walk in that, you know, like in the bubble of the Holy ghost, like walk that way. If he means walk by the spirit, He's reminding us that the way we live is by the power that the spirit provides. Yes. And so either one of those, I think Paul touches on both aspects of this in different letters. Uh, Romans, he focuses on being in the spirit as a realm. I think here you could look at it either way, perhaps more instrumental, like by means of the spirit. But in either case, Paul is saying that the key to now living by faith, okay, walking out this kingdom life, is the personal presence of god we're not trying to do our best and and ask god to smile on it we're saying we have no best what we have lord is you what we have is your breath your life and your power that's what we need that's how we live um and in every case and in every scenario and let me just real quickly because i know we're limited when paul says in in galatians 5 that the works of the flesh are obvious, right? He's telling these readers, like, you should, you you have to, you can't cooperate with the flesh. He doesn't tell them, okay, look for every wrong sinful thing in your life and try to root it out. He actually says something different here. He says, if you don't want to satisfy the desires of the flesh, what you should do is walk in the spirit. I just want to communicate to to your listeners, like, sometimes we can go overboard with this introspection wow. and trying to find out everything that's wrong with us. Look, there is a place for Psalm uh, 50, 51, you know, like if there's any wicked in way in me, God find it and, and root it out and cl- give me a clean heart. Give me a, a, a right spirit. Of course. But there are times when we can be go overboard by trying to find out all the problems. Instead, what we can do is, we can cooperate with the Holy spirit and pursue him. What does he want? What is he saying in every situation? If we turn our attention to the spirit, Paul says, if you walk with him, verse 25, if you keep in step with him, you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh because number one, your attention won't be there. Number two, you'll realize you have the power to do the will of God from the heart. One quick analogy. Uh, I like to tell this, little thing. See, th- there's there is a way of trying to please God that will result in paranoia, fear, and legalism. It's like if I told you, hey, from now on, I forbid you to think about elephants. Okay? And you go home and you're like, okay, what was that thing that I heard on, you know, the broadcast? Oh, I'm not allowed to think about elephants. Right, because elephants have big ears and they, they have gray, thick skin. Oh, no, I'm thinking about elephants. I can't think about elephants. See, the more I remind myself of what I'm not supposed to do, the more I'm actually mindful of it. And I, I'm like submarining myself. And now anything that's gray, any kind of, uh, you know, large mammal, like whatever, I'm going to be reminded of what not to think about. And and at a certain point, this becomes counterproductive, you know, just trying to def- you know, always watch out for the things. Look, there's a healthy sense of land. Hey, we keep on guard. We want to keep alert and watchful. Yeah. But what if we turn this around? What if I said, Eric, I want you to meditate on the glory of the ostrich. Okay. And I told that to you. And then you go home later on. You're like, now, what was I supposed to do? Oh, ostriches. Yeah. What a weird thing. A flightless bird skinny legs and a round torso and then a long skinny neck, you know, it kind of walks in a funny way. And you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to hit a, a website about ostriches and you start reading and you've got the ostriches native environment and you're, man, this is fascinating. Did you know that ostriches lay eggs? Like, I mean, you can go as long as the day is bro. And you're, you're doing exactly what I said. You're turning your attention to your, to the ostrich. You're directing your thoughts. You're learning, you're cultivating. Maybe you decide, you know what? I'm going to start an ostrich farm. You know, and you, and you go out and you buy a couple of ostriches and you realize that ostrich eggs provide more nutrients than a regular chicken egg. I mean, where's the end? Where's the line? There isn't one. Okay. So, in my view, what Paul is saying, man, walk in the spirit, keep in step with him. You can't outrun him. There's always more space ahead, there's always a place to go if we're investing time and energy cultivating a mindset and a way of life that looks like Jesus because it's in step with the spirit. We don't, will attacks come? Will thoughts come? Of course. But man, we can sideline those things real quick and redirect and come back. Just like, you know, you see a picture of an elephant on a billboard. It's like, Oh, elephant, you know what? But ostrich, you know, I mean, we can, we can turn the tide on this. Instead of operating in paranoia and fear and becoming legalistic and whatever, We can run hard, man. We can be aggressive with our pursuit of the things of God because we're welcomed into the realm of the Spirit and we can operate by His power. And we're going to find, you know, again, just like Paul says, what that's going to lead to is all kinds of fruit. And as Jesus taught in John 15, fruit that remains. Because when we walk in the Spirit, we are abiding in Him.
0: That's beautiful. Can you just pray along these lines for those people that are listening? I, I know what they'll do is they'll just close their eyes and receive what you're going to pray over them. So I'm going to do the same. I'm going to close my eyes right now and just receive your your prayer over us.
1: You bet. Father, thank you for the testimony of your word. It's always trustworthy. And even today, I'm asking for those who will listen to this broadcast that... They will taste and and see that you are good through the truth of this testimony, Mm. that those of us who have embraced the true gospel have been able to put away an old person who has not pleased you and come to life again through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And I pray even today for a fresh encounter with God through the divine life and power of your presence. I pray that people would be increasingly hungry for you and for your ways. And I pray that this would lead to greater freedom that looks like loving service to one another. It looks like the the production of beautiful and satisfying fruit in our lives. And in fact, increased liberation from every form of sin every attachment of flesh, that we, would be a, be a, uh, that we would become a people that resemble Jesus Christ more and more. We are alive in the Spirit, and we want to keep in step. So, Father, today, shine on us. Give us grace, courage, and joy. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen, amen. Thanks so much for, for jumping on with me. Just tell them where they can get your book on Galatians.
1: <laughs> oh man. Well, listen, it is a, it is, it is a scholarly book. It's called Crucifixion and New Creation. If you really are interested in it, I don't, you know, I'm not saying this is an easy read, but if you like to dig into scripture, if you like to to think about ancient culture, context, linguistics, that kind of stuff, uh, you might enjoy this. It's, it's definitely available on Amazon. You can just type in Crucifixion and New Creation. You'll see it there.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Jeff. I love you so much, man.